Bye. Hello, welcome to Knock Knock High with the Glockenfleckens. I am sitting here with Lady Glockenflecken, also known as Kristen Flannery. And I am Dr. Glockenflecken, also known as Will Flannery. We're so happy to have you. It's a great day. We're talking <laughs> about lots of things as we usually do. But mm -hmm. uh, in particular, we're talking about pharmacies. Yes. Yep, today. And we're talking about Amazon. Amazon and, and the two of them together, Amazon yeah. Pharmacies. That's with right. Dr. Vin Gupta. Now, uh, we'll, we'll get to our guest here in a second, but first... We have a new recording space. Yes. If you're watching, this is the elephant in the room. If you're, if you're watching, which we could probably fit an elephant in here. We might be able to. It's, it's a bigger it's room. It's a bigger room. We finally did it. It's the same house. Like we're in the yeah. same place. We just have, we repurposed our, our kids' old yeah. playroom. Oh, it was a whole thing. We had to like rearrange half the rooms in our house because we have a daughter who's now in middle school, which for her and many children means she would like her own room. Exactly. So we had to do a lot of switching around of things so and if you are watching on youtube and you notice that the books in the back are color coded uh you can thank me for that you know typical white man trying to take credit for the work of the woman mm -hmm. <laughs> no Kristen did an unbelievable job with our decorations back there so well, people... thank you it's, it's still a work in progress so you may notice some some things changing over the next few weeks. You know, but... people notice the color coding. Do the, they? The, 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 like the having all the red books and all the black books and all the white books. Like people notice that. Yeah. It's very soothing, I think, to people. For some people, it's, it's polarizing because you either love it, it or you're like, that is the stupidest way to arrange a book. Usually those are your bibliophiles, you know, that's like how you have to separate a series if each book in the series oh, is see. a different color. And how oh, do you, gotcha. you know, okay. so I get both sides because I am also a bibliophile, but I am also a... What's a design of file? I don't know. I have a, a color obsession there, in particular. I don't know. Probably. I don't know. Somebody could tell us in the comments. But I got to, I one more thing I want to talk about. Uh, I'm a very proud dad right now. Oh, why is that? Very proud dad. Because last night. Oh, yes. I know what you're going to say. Our eight-year-old <laughs> delivered an invitation to me. Yes. I'm going to read the invitation. Well, not to you. To everyone in our family. To everyone in the family. We all got yes, one. This, we all got an invitation. <clears throat> It says, to Daddy, Comedy Joke Club. Come join the Comedy Joke Club, which she abbreviated CJC. Yeah. Learn how to make funny riddles and jokes. 6 p.m. on Sunday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. <laughs> it's <laughs> ambitious. Three, three <laughs> night per week Comedy Joke Club. Uh, where, you ask, is this going to be happening? The living room on the couch. Yep. All right. I am so happy. <laughs> a joke club. This a comedy great. joke club. I, not I, any kind of I've joke club. I've already got plans. Like Do you? I'm oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna uh, find a topic. Mm -hmm. Um and have the kids choose a topic and we're gonna create jokes around that topic. What kinds of jokes? I don't know. You'll Just... have to put in some restrictions so that it's uh No, no, no. There's no restrictions on comedy. Restrictions enhance creativity. I will I, I will see what they come up with and I will help them formulate punchline setup all yeah. the things no i think it'd be good i mean we'll see great. how long this lasts kids attention span is like four <laughs> seconds but hey five minutes three times a week i mean we could do like five minute increments that's fine <laughs> that's true that is true but i do think in all seriousness i do think it, it is a fun idea to think of you teaching comedy to our children yeah. right like not oh, I'm, just i'm, I'm, I'm sure excited. they're like picking things up by osmosis you know but yeah. uh but to have you like sit down and explain to them the mechanics of a joke or yeah, what like, makes something funny like i think that's that's pretty fun I can't wait i'm excited all right so let's talk about our guest 
Dr. Vin Gupta is a practicing pulmonologist who serves as chief medical officer of, of Amazon Pharmacy. Many people are probably like, I had no idea Amazon had Pharmacy. Well, you're going to hear all about it today. He is also affiliate faculty at the University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation uh, and Evans School and a major in the U.S. Air Force Medical Reserve Corps. Very accomplished what individual. What does he do? He also serves as a medical analyst for NBC News. So he's 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 done a lot of things, a lot of fascinating mm-hmm. things. He draws on his expertise and and uh, and and now as his role of uh, uh, chief medical officer of Amazon right. Pharmacy. So fascinating discussion. Should we get into it? Yes. What do you think? Let's go. You ready? Ready. All right. Here's Dr. Vin Gupta. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. To learn more about how DAX Copilot can help reduce burnout and restore the joy of practicing medicine, stick around after the episode or visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X. All right, we are here with Dr. Vin Gupta. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, it's a huge honor to be here with you guys. Thank you. Happy New Year. So, uh, so I've just you know, I've, I've been looking through kind of what you've done in your career so far, and like critical care air transport physician, U.S. Air Force Reserve, critical care pulmonologist, chief medical officer, Amazon Pharmacy. Like, if I saw this stuff, I would think you were like sixty years old. Mm-hmm. But now that I see you, you're clearly only like maybe you're like, like our age. You're like our age, yeah. And it's like, what am I doing with yeah. my life? My goodness. <laughs> I, uh, just congratulations on on everything. It's it's really impressive. What's what's what you've uh, where you're at in life right now? <laughs> well, that, I mean, coming from the two of you, that means a lot. But uh, I, you know, just like the two of you, uh, honestly, I, I feel like there's there's different ways to have impact and yeah. And, and, and I think that's just what's driven me. Well, well, I want to start. Uh, well, first of all, before we started recording, I you had this very interesting thing in your background uh, of uh, you know behind you, um, and you were telling us it's a, it's a Hindu deity. Uh, yeah. It's got a nice frame around it, and, <laughs> yeah. and and then it was about to lead to a story of how you met your wife, and I w- we wanted to do it on air, so because I'd love to hear it. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, so we. Uh, long story short was I used to ride the school bus with my wife back in a small town, Sylvania, Ohio, not far <laughs> from the, the border with Michigan. And so we, uh, you know, many years, five minutes apart in the same neighborhood. Uh, and she she used to go to Catholic school. I remember this this really pretty girl coming on, you know, back when I was wearing these massive glasses, she wanted nothing to do with me. And I, there was just, it, you know, I could never get sort of the time of day. I remember we would always, we're both Hindu, and uh, I would go to our local temple, and we'd have these massive events for Diwali. And I'd walk in, and I'd see her with her friends sort of point and stare, and you know, I, I, was, that was, I was the guy on the school bus. And, mm-hmm. and that was 25 years of, of that, and we never actually communicated. But then towards the end of medical school, I, I, was, in, I was in China. I lived there for a few years and was just on this research fellowship. And she was coming out for a traditional... Uh, Chinese medicine, sort of two-month rotation towards the end of fourth year. And we had a mutual friend who knew me way back in the school bus days and who is now her uh, classmate at Ohio State uh, Medical School. They're like, you know, you should reconnect with Vin and um, just just look him up while you're there. And so uh, 
uh, but I came back right before and I had convinced her that, hey, let's go on a few dates here back in Ohio. And if it, you don't totally hate me, why don't you travel with me in Chinese New Year to Indonesia and to Thailand? So we actually started getting, uh, we dated in the best possible place to give me the best possible leg up, which is Southeast Asia. And so this is from <laughs> that, tri- that trip um, in, oh, in Bali. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so. Kind of like The Bachelor, right? Like you're gonna, you're trying to convince these people to fall in love, and so you go to these romantic (laughs) places and do incredible things. But you guys didn't go to, you didn't go to med school together. No, so I was, I was at Columbia, and uh, she was, she was at Ohio State, and so we, we had a mutual friend that made that connection. And then you ended up uh, in critical care, and and I understand you do still practice medicine. I think nights, right? Is that what you? Yeah. Primarily whenever you do have shifts. Yeah. So, you know, about 30% of my time, I'm a, a civilian pulmonologist in hospitals here in Seattle. And then um, yeah. really important to me to be at the bedside. And then I uh, still have that reservist component where I still practice whenever deployed. Night, nighttime in the ICU. That, that sounds like easily <laughs> top five most scariest places in the hospital. Like, oh, I, man. I don't. <laughs> oh, my God. I, you know, it's just whether it's a unexpected code or. You know, you're, yeah. I, I, you're, I get to work with residents, so they're experiencing it for the first time, or some bloody dialysis line that you have to do at 3 a.m. I mean, it is, I will say in this world where there's different ways to, we were talking about this earlier, have impact, to, to yeah. still be at the bedside and to still have to, you know, practice the same medicine I practiced 15 years ago when I was first, my first time in the ICU, it's, it's humbling. And it's, it's, I think it's really important. And now you said you you still so you're in civilian medicine, but you also still have this military kind of reserve career. So how does what's yeah. the balance? Tell me about that a little bit. Well, you know, I I I'm gonna say since you obviously have such reach, and we all uh, love the two of you in, in medicine. I will I will plug that I got my start in military medicine uh, way back in medical school. The re- the recruiters. Uh, when I was out in New York, nowhere to position themselves at 2 a.m. in the morning on a Friday night. And so there are it's like military medical recruiters. Right I remember those recruiters. Of, I remember yeah. those. Yeah. yeah they, they took came. one look at you and were like, no. <laughs> no, I remember they, they would come. And, you know, when you first, during orientation, at least, that's when I remember them. You know, they'd set up their booth and, you know, very nice, yeah. you know, military officers with full, you know, uniforms and everything. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, you know, I they wrote me in. And, but it ended up being a pretty, I mean, I, I've done this for about a decade and coming up towards the end of my payback. And it's been an incredible experience. And, and I think there's a huge gap between how, how a lot of us conceive of it, how recruiters talk about it, and what the experience is actually like. So I do in the military exactly what I do in a civilian hospital. I'm, I'm an ICU doc. And that's rare. Rare often, you know, you can be an ophthalmologist on the outside, but on the inside, you're, uh, you know, you're doing just flight physicals or you're, checking blood pressures and checking labs. And so rarely is there that sort of matching of skill set, civilian to military, but I happen, lucky sort of specialty where they need ICU docs. And so I practiced 30,000 feet ICU medicine. Um, I've deployed a few times for short-term stints. And really it's just providing ICU level care at 30,000 feet, moving uh, a soldier or a contractor from say the Middle East back to Walter Reed, but those that have critical care needs. So it's, it's actually a fascinating example of our reach in, uh, in the U.S. military. And I think uh, a capability you're going to see more and more as we have less operating bases overseas, like sure. a big base in Afghanistan, more sort of mobility uh, focus. 
critical care medicine is like hard enough. And then you're like, hey, I'm yeah. going to go do on that thing 30,000 <laughs> feet in the air. Most airplanes don't even have EpiPens on them. So <laughs> yeah, what exactly. does your airplane look like? Well, I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, it makes sense that you need to do that. But uh, I mean, this must, what, what size plane are we talking about? Like how, like what, yes. what's your setup I mean, there? It's a C-17 uh, and it's, there's no seats. And so there's, I mean, it's, it's literally for aeromedical evacuation. So there will be uh, non-critical patients that will be towards the front of the plane. And then imagine just an open bay. We have what are called stanchions that you can put uh, litters on. And those litters, on top of the litter, there's the patient. On top of the patient, there's something called, it's called a SMEED. It's basically this little platform that you can attach a mobile vent to, some suction, uh, a monitor. You literally have a, a mobile ICU on this platform positioned right on top of the patient um, on these on this sort of frame that attaches right to the floor of the plane. <laughs> And it's a mobile ICU. It's pretty incredible. But, you know, we have epinephrine uh, drips. Um, uh, so we've advanced well well past pens. And uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. Wow. It, it's, so how, how much of your time are you still doing that? Yeah. You know, this is the thing about, and, and uh, I'm one of the biggest, I'll answer your question uh, uh, sure. like in, in, a, in a circle here. But Take your time. Take your time. One of the, you know, like I, I keep getting reminded because I'm, I'm at 10 years, I'm about to step out at least for a little bit. It's just, it's, it's hard to square, but it's a weekend a month, two weeks a year. On top of that, if you get deployed for four to six weeks, what have you. So it can, it can add up to about 50 days a year on top of mm-hmm. everything else. And, you know, you're doing this on, on what would otherwise be free time. So in, it, I guess it just depends on what the rest of your makeup of your life looks like. But if, if you have a busy professional life on top of it, it it's hard to square. Um, what's, what's interesting, though, is that the military medical corps across the Marines, Air Force, uh, uh, Navy, has about 60% of the docs that they need coming into the pipeline to replace those leaving because nobody wants to do it. Oh. And it's just it's, it, it, it's, it's an interesting, I think, less talked about national security risk that we just don't have enough medical capability to care for those that are going to need to, you know, go out to the Western Pacific maybe, or what, just given the the world that we live in. So it's, it doesn't get talked enough about, in my opinion. So thank you for highlighting it. Well, let's, let's talk some more about, because I'm, I'm I'm interested in this and, and what, what are the barriers? What is it that those med students who come in, who maybe like, I had no idea anything about military medicine and what, what is it that's keeping people away from that? Uh, What are the fears that maybe are unfounded or that are maybe, uh, you know, to um, you know, the things that rumors that go around about military medicine that maybe are not so true. And, and so just help us understand what's keeping. Does military medicine have a PR problem? Yeah. yeah what is yeah. What is it exactly? <laughs> I think it's a huge PR problem. Uh, and there's a lot of misunderstanding because the recruiter, and I'm not trying to throw recruiters on the bus, but the recruit recruiters for docs, let's just take that are often coming from a totally different part of the military and they can't they can no longer do that job like there many were former mechanics that can't do the job of being a mechanic anymore so then they slot into being a recruiter and randomly become a health professions recruiter and don't have any content expertise and so we're telling these people to do a job and answer questions to folks like us that are you know, pretty high maintenance. If you think about it, you know, we have a lot right. of needs oh, that we want to. We have a lot of questions, and a lot of type A personalities. A lot of type A personalities, and they want details, and they 
they need to know everything and and how it's going to work out. And and often they get told a story that's not accurate, and not because anybody's mal has bad intentions, but because they're just they aren't the right recruiters for the job. And so often what gets said is, well, you know, you're going to get X amount of money over X amount of time, and that's wrong. And so there's overpromising of financial support, which is bad because you know many people. I did this for frankly for uh, financial support during training. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do that. And if you if if the if the money doesn't square, the support doesn't square with your expectations, and you feel like, why am I doing this? Um, often there's this fear. The second fear is, am I going to get sent to war and die? And the reality is, as a doc, you know, and most I'm usually at the I'm on the runway in Bagram Air Force Base picking up a patient, but rarely is there an exposure to battlefield medicine. So you are a little removed from direct threat, even though you're still in a theater of war. Um, so there is, I think, a misperception of threat. There's some threat, but and there's some risk, but it's it's pretty managed and mitigated because they sure. they need you. I think the third is, and this is this is what I've seen evolve over the 15 years. There felt like there was patriotism and an, and a call to duty that existed in the mid 2000s that I can't tell you how many people now, you know, whisper, like, why am I doing this? I don't understand. I don't believe what we're fighting for. I don't believe in this potential war with China and the Western Pacific. I want to get out as soon as possible because there's that lack of clarity as to uh, the purpose of the U.S. military in this world, frankly, and what we're fighting for. And so I, I think that third piece actually might be the number one driver of low recruitment. People just don't feel that that sense of connection and that, that that sense of wanting to serve in the first place because of everything that we see go around in our right. politics and what have you. So that's what I that, and that, that's what that worries me. And that third thing seems like the most difficult one to to change the perception on, right? I mean, it's because um, that we're talking about kind of population um, as a whole and how uh, people are feeling and and the impact also that social media has on on all this stuff as well so it's man that's it's interesting yeah i I certainly would have been i I would say i I thought about it i mean i definitely is like i was like oh man not having to pay back any student loans like that it's that's a huge i mean think about the cost of medical education now and like you know we're still still paying back our student loans so the only thing i remember you thinking about was being an astronaut doctor so I don't know about well, that's the, a lot of them. That's military, you know, that's military. Now, I guess. So, yeah. So my my dad worked in aerospace and uh, he's retired now, but he, you know, huh. he's working with NASA and all these people. And and so like, you know, it, she would never have let me be an astronaut. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I don't know. And look, I was right. That's, I think that's a path you can go down uh, from mm-hmm. the military side of things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Did I, you ever I, think of being an astronaut? No, yeah. Gosh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, not not on my cup of tea, but as it's, I do, I do know a few docs who've gone uh, marine to the astronaut. Um, oh yeah, sort of yeah. Path. So yeah, hundred percent. That's wow. So astronaut. That's, yeah, I, um, yeah. You know, she, I just this, this no way, no, that was an immediate veto. <laughs> I'm not going to be married to someone who's not on this planet. That's just not in my card. But it is surprising <laughs> to me actually to hear you say that that what you what you want to do say in like civilian medicine you're practicing as a pulmonologist is not necessarily what you're going to end up doing in the military like that 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 is surprising to me it's a big problem I yeah i mean i, yeah. I can't I mean, that's just the other piece too there's a lot of surgeons i know i know a few neurosurgeons who are 
just checking boxes as primary care docs. And there's nothing against primary care docs. Well, it's just not what they want to do with their career, right? Exactly. It's, you know, like how, you tell me there's not a better way to leverage the skills of a neurosurgeon um, and try to have them practice to the top of their their training. But so there's a lot of inefficiency, misuse, miscommunication. Unfortunately, it impacts recruitment in a a really significant way. Well, you you made a big... uh, it seems to me a, a large change in your career. Um, <laughs> yes, going from all of this <laughs> critical care medicine, and then and then I see that you're the chief medical officer of Amazon Pharmacy. So help yeah. us connect the dots here because that's a that's a big change. Yeah, you, you know, I was full time uh, back in well, five years ago. Sort of full time physician scientist, just coming out of fellowship, really liked it, and at the time had this opportunity. When I was uh, finishing up at the Brigham. And my mentor at the time was was leading uh, part of the Apple Watch's uh, study on the sensitivity of its various health features to say detect a fib. In this case, it was the oxygen functionality. So I got connected to the Apple team um, as a fellow, and was they were working on well, how, can we use this for patients with COPD or emphysema or what have you? And meanwhile, I'm in uh, you know my fellow primary care docs, pulmonologists will will know this well where. You, you know, you're in this 15 minute visit with somebody with COPD and you're trying to look at their Mead notebook and see how, what are they sat uh, like 10 days ago and how their oxygen saturation curve is changing over time. And what about their five minute walk? Mm. And here is this new innovation that people want on their wrist, on their wrist, whether it's this or, you know, Fitbit, and it's automating that whole process. And we can just get a dashboard view on it. And so I got, I got connected to, to digital health while I was full-time clinical and, um, and just ran with it. So I was with Apple for a year. And then just being in that ecosystem, Amazon was hiring at the time in 2020. I was back in Seattle. And it, it just felt like this brave new world of, of streamlining evidence-based high-quality medicine with the best of tech, especially consumer tech companies that you had to really unlock a great experience. So I took this opportunity. Amazon said, hey, you, we can, we'll still let you be clinical um, part-time. Uh, we'll still let you do all the things you want to do on the outside, but come join us and help us build a better way to provide care for patients. And this is right before the pandemic. This is January 2020 that I joined. Uh, pandemic hit, you know, things changed for me um, uh, in my external roles, obviously clinically, uh, but then it, it sort of put on on an accelerated path what Amazon was doing in at-home healthcare. Uh, mm-hmm. Experienced the company over the last three years, got to know different parts of it. My core was what I experienced, what I learned at Apple um, in consumer wearables, and ultimately landed on uh, the Amazon pharmacy team in early 2023, building what I just think. I mean, I'll say to the two of you, um, and not to put words in your mouth, but I, I was really motivated to join the team because, as a, as a clinician, I absolutely hate the the retail pharmacy experience as it is today for my patients. It is a frustrating experience. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times. It has led to non-adherence on inhalers or what have you. And here is a company that I think knows uh, how to unlock great experiences. And I thought that to me, it felt like an interesting just opportunity to learn from from incredible talent. So that's that's, uh, that's why I'm here. Yeah, and I, I want to I want to really dive into the, this idea of Amazon Pharmacy. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come right back. Hey, Kristen. Yes. Conference season's coming up. It's true. You know what that means. Lots of presentations. It's a lot of work, right? We're making presentations. 
we're writing emails back and forth, mm-hmm. proposals, Port. Rep- all this stuff. Yeah. But you know, it really helps. What's that? Grammarly. Yeah. It's a it lifesaver. It helps with all kinds of writing. Yeah. I don't have to tell you, you've been using it for a long time, right? Yeah. I've used Grammarly for several years in different jobs, different fields, all kinds of writing. It really, it helps you be more concise with your writing. And mm-hmm. with email, it helps you find the right tone of your email. Yes. That can be so helpful because, you know, there's this whole like yeah. unspoken language that's happening like, in email and Grammarly helps you get it just right. Sometimes I need help you finding do. the right tone really with my do. email. And in fact, 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing. Yes. That's huge. That's amazing. It's really Grammarly is the gold standard of responsible AI. AI is in the news. You find AI mm-hmm. for everything now. But they've but, been doing it for years. Yeah. And they know how to do it. They've got lots of experience doing this. To make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly, sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Kristen, doesn't it seem like AI can do anything? It seems that way. It's everywhere. It is. But have you heard of Precision? No, tell me. This is the first ever electronic health record integrated infectious disease AI platform. Mm, That sounds fancy. It's really exciting. Uh, So, for any specific patient, it takes all the patient's clinical data and automatically highlights better antibiotic coverage in real time. Oh, nice. Yeah. It empowers clinicians to save more lives while also working more efficiently Mm. and quickly. To see a demo, go to precision.com slash KKH. That's precision spelled with an X instead of an E. So P-R-X-C-I-S-I-O-N dot com slash KKH. All right, we are back with Dr. Vin Gupta. So, so Vin, uh, I know from my personal experience, like going through medical education, medical training, get very limited information, knowledge about how pharmacies work, about the pharmaceutical industry, regulations around pharmacies. So what kind of, I imagine you've faced a pretty large learning curve and trying to just understand the landscape of the world of pharmacy whenever you were kind of thrown into this CMO role. Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, I wouldn't even say that's an understatement. I, I mean, there's so much, this is such a complicated, highly regulated space, as you just said. Uh, and so I'm constantly learning. One of the reasons yeah. I took the took the role was just to learn. Uh, it's amazing too because I one thing I've noticed when I'm an inpatient ICU doc, I have an inpatient pharmacist right at my side, right. correcting orders. No, Vin, don't do that. No, Vin, do this. On the outpatient side, no, we don't, Vin, have don't that. kill a patient with that yeah. drug interaction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, exactly. I remember those days for sure. <laughs> And it's, you love it. You, I mean, you're, you come to rely on it and yeah. um, in a really serious way. And you don't have that, you know, to state the obvious, out, outpatient providers don't have that at their fingertips. Right. And, and, and really, truly, uh, I, I oversee a team of, of clinical pharmacists that are, that are in part trying to build that experience for outpatient providers, one medical to begin with, um, and then maybe, you know, as we're growing more and more providers, but really to say, hey, Let's give a, a, a provider who's caring for a patient with multiple chronic diseases in and out of the hospital. Let's let them call a consult and and let's review medication lists together, figure out what we can do to maybe deprecate medications, optimize therapy. And, and in this world where retail pharmacy windows are closing and narrowing their hours, it, to me, that's where there feels like there's uh, one value add to Amazon Pharmacy among many, but that's, that's definitely one. But yeah, to your point, I, it is an incredibly complicated space. 
But as we are decomplexifying it, we're realizing that there's a lot of inefficiencies. You mentioned PBMs and how we procure drugs and, and yeah. the price increases that are baked in at every journey of, of uh, at the journey of the medication being procured from the manufacturer ultimately to the patient. There's price hikes at every step of that journey. And as we're what talking is that about, just for, for people who don't know, aren't familiar with that, um, with pharmacy benefit managers, yeah. can, can you guys speak? Cause I'm not in medicine. So I learned yeah. a lot of this just through him and his silly videos, but yeah, cause I, so as, you all, as you know, like I've, I've been very critical of pharmacy benefit managers like Optum and, uh, and, uh, CVS Caremark and you know, all the, these, basically these are they, they've started out as like insurance. I mean, they're still insurance companies, but they have the separate arm that they, that are the, what are called pharmacy benefit managers that initially when they started, they were designed to try to quote unquote, rein in the pharmaceutical companies and keep medications affordable for patients as kind of a go between from the, between the pharmacists and the, the, um, the, uh, the pharmaceutical companies. but I mean, if you ask of PBM, they're going to say they do that. But I right. think the reality is there, they, there's, it just adds this kind of middleman type of scenario where you have these, this PBM arm of these companies that are kind of extracting wealth from the healthcare system and uh, generating a lot of money for themselves with questionable impact. How do they do that? Where does that wealth come side. from? How does what? How do they extract the wealth? Where does that come from? Well, Ben, do you want to well, talk about this a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, really what, I mean, exactly what ends up happening and as just mentioned is yeah, drugs are procured through these entities, these pharmaceutical benefit managers in many cases uh, directly from, you know, an Eli Lilly or any pharmaceutical company at a certain price. And then they're sold to distributors, pharmacies at a different price. And, and usually that there's a markup there. And so that, that markup of what they acquire the drugs at versus what they sell the drugs at to pharmacies across the country, there will be a margin there that is introduced right. because they're sort of the, that interlocutor between. Versus you know, just the pharmacy buying directly from right. the manufacturer. Okay. And the exactly. idea is that, the, the, that those savings, you know, sh they should be passed down to patients, mm -hmm. right? The, on the, the consumer end, but is that happening? And so right. that's where a lot of the controversy comes into play. Is there regulation around that to make that happen well, or no? That's a good it, question. You know, this, I think this is- Am I this stepping is, in something? I mean, yeah, it's a huge... And a good thing. No, I mean, this is, this is changing literally in real time. We're seeing this with the, with the weight loss drugs and what Lilly mm -hmm. announced last week, which was this direct effort that they're setting up, Lilly Direct, uh, at trying to meet this moment of, incredible demand for these GLP medications, these weight loss medications. Like Ozempic, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Exactly. But now they're saying, hey, we will help facilitate and directly distribute through third party telehealth providers and distributors. We, we will start to be more directly involved in distribution. And, and as a result, you're actually seeing the price of the medication because they're more directly being involved in patient, direct patient care, again, through partners. The price of the medication is 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 lower. And what's being billed to insurance, what the ultimate copay will be. Cost plus drugs are you know as a yeah. stakeholder in the space doing something in in generic and in some cases branded medications, direct wholesaling or wholesale procurement of medications from manufacturers. There's a reason their prices are are very low 
we're working with them um, in, in some interesting pilots in California in particular. So we think that we can um, you know, add incremental value. But this is changing in real time. So everything that you've been talking about is having impact because this is such in the complexity of the space. I think this, is, this reality has been allowed to uh, go on for decades. And now finally people are pushing us to like, why is this actually happening? And they're decomplexifying yeah. it. I think you're going to have a lot of people who are skeptical about this behemoth of Amazon. And, um, you know, the, at times, you know, less than favorable PR that comes from, you know, Amazon and now they're they treat their workers and you know, all these things. And, and so you're going to have a lot of people that think, Oh, Amazon's going to, going to be in charge of my medications. And, and so, and people have problems. I think people are going to compare this to the current, uh, um, uh, mail order pharmacy delivery systems out there, which is primarily right run by United Healthcare, like OptumRx uh, and um, and Express Scripts, uh, uh, to name a couple of them. And so, what would you say to those people who are maybe skeptical that this is going to be a better service for for them than what's already out there? You know, I'm glad you're asking that because we are constantly learning. I'm I, I one of the one of the reasons I stay very close to the bedside is because I don't want to lose sight of the problems that exist today. And, and, and so having a foot in both worlds to me helps at least keep me honest as in serving this role for Amazon Pharmacy. I would say that at a high level, there is so much opportunity for improvement. And, 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 and the existing incumbents, like you've said, ESI, mail order delivery more broadly, that still only represents 10% of all prescription uh, fulfillment across the country. 90% is still, let's pick it up at that retail counter. And we know what that experience has is now continuing to become. It's just not meeting patient needs. I, I, what worries me is that you know, things that are not sexy problems to talk about because the solutions are really complicated. It's often we don't know the solutions. Medication non-adherence, $500 billion problem just in terms of dollars. But we know what that means for readmission. We know 30% of people don't pick up the refills just because it's too difficult. A stat that astonished me, and I, I operate in the space all the time as a pulmonologist, 85% of the time there's a coupon for branded medication like an inhaler to lower the price to the patient. 85% of the time it goes unapplied because people just don't know it exists. It is, it's just, yeah, I've never heard of a coupon for my prescription. I mean, I don't have an inhaler, so maybe it just doesn't apply to my prescriptions, but... Well, no, I'm I didn't know that was even a thing. <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. You know, more drug classes than just inhalers. So even the GLP, the weight loss drugs have coupons in some cases, other medications, EpiPens. But most people don't know these coupons exist if they're a prescribed yeah. or relevant medication because the pharmacist, they're reliant on the retail pharmacist who's overworked to educate them or their provider to say, hey, go to this website, download this set of forms, submit it. That's how you get the discount. It's just, it's a, it's a ludicrous process. And yet yeah. that's the process that exists today. And so Amazon is, is automating that process for uh, a group of branded medications. So if a coupon exists, it's going to be automated and it's a true e-commerce experience. You don't have to think about it. And that's solving an obvious problem. You know, direct to your doorstep delivery. I think that helps with that refill problem that we talked about. But then even price transparency, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that there was a study done by actually a bunch of, a group of pharmacists that was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine about four weeks ago. And it looked at the 20 most commonly prescribed generic medications across the country, lots of them cardiovascular. And it asked the question, 
does GoodRx or does, do our, does our prime prescription savings program, does GoodRx versus copay, are any of those providing additional cost savings? So would it be better to not use your copay and use a, a discount program through GoodRx or through us? And it found that if people used us through GoodRx, they would save upwards of $970 million in, in aggregate on the 20 most commonly prescribed generic medications across the country, meaning insurance isn't often your best choice uh, to purchase at least generic medications. I just think there's so much lack of information and awareness on how to build a better pharmacy, how to get a lower cost medication. That to your point, if there is a trust gap, I think once you start to deliver yeah. on things like lower price, directed doorstep delivery. People see it. Yeah. People see it. Yeah. It certainly sounds more convenient. I mean, I think no one can argue that about Amazon. Um, and, you know, cost savings and all of that sounds really good. But just as a consumer, you know, when I think about Amazon delivering my medications, one of the things I worry about would be, and I don't know, maybe I'm, I am a little paranoid. I'm almost, you know, I'm like a, Some of like your... a very mild doomsday prepper kind of a person, you know? <laughs> I am too. Uh, I am too, yeah. Good. Okay. So I think about, well, you know, Amazon already knows all of my purchasing history. Do I really sure. want them knowing my medical history oh, as yeah. well with all of this, you know? Do I want them knowing what things I'm getting prescriptions for and what they are and how that's going? And are there, cha you know, there's like a big data problem with this too, I think, for consumers. Well, I'm glad you, you brought that up because I think I'm sure that's not on the minds of, 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 of many people that use Amazon for the retail purchases. I can, I can share what I've seen directly get built, which is that your health data is your health data and it's, it's completely compartmentalized and completely blocked off and held sacred. In, in any in in a very similar way to what we do with patient uh, data in the four walls of a health system, brick and mortar health system. Mm -hmm. So there's no crosstalk between health data and retail data, because everything that Amazon Health does is completely guided by HIPAA, and and so that data is very much compartmentalized. I agree with you that this is uh, convincing people that were that that data is is held sacred that it's not going to be used in any right. way to because there's not yeah. you mentioned trust there's not a lot of public trust in how companies use data right now either after cambridge analytica and you know the sure. aftermath of all that well and we've seen other digital health providers i should say i should note that amazon clinic and a few of our other entities uh, were recently scrutinized with a bunch of other te uh, telehealth companies and re with regards to how we handle health data and we were the only one i think this is published in the washington post uh, that were found to actually adhere to the tenets of HIPAA and to uh, to treat health data the way it should be, which is not to cross talk with any other sort of consumer-like behaviors. So I, I do believe as a clinician that the company completely is standing by its commitment. But because there's some high-profile examples where other tech companies are not have, have, have failed or have misstepped in that space, I'm not surprised. And I think the onus is on us to make sure that we continue to say that your data is private, it's sacred, it is going to be held and, and treated in the same way that it is within the four walls of a hospital system. That burden of proof is still going to be on all of the new entrants in healthcare, including us, to, to, to actually, uh, you know, uh, to show that we're, we mean what we say. And because I think there have been missteps elsewhere. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, you could envision a world where, I don't know, like if you have an anxiety medication through Amazon, then you start seeing ads for you know, weighted blankets or other things that might help you with your anxiety, right? Like that'd be a little bit. Oh, it icky. would be inappropriate. Yeah. No. And, and yeah. So we don't do that to be clear. Um, and, and 
for the reasons that that would that would infringe on patient protected health data and the ways in which it could be shared. But how does that been, get enforced? I mean, it's HIPAA protected. Is uh, that so? We we just have uh, so we constantly we have a, a, secu- a security system and a patient uh, data team that just complete that ensures that uh, one person said we have a, a series of systems in place that by which I'm uh, you know very non-expert in from a yeah I'm probably asking questions about um, like the weeds <laughs> but no it is to say that we have a patient and we have security experts and data experts that make sure that siloed data especially health data doesn't cross talk that there's constant monitoring for say you know any type of cyber invasion or intrusion or attack uh, that would weaken our infrastructure uh, but uh, the relevant experts there are constantly mining that to make sure that 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 it, that remains siloed and protected it doesn't cross talk so when you're when you're building out our doomsday shelter mm-hmm. like you know, you know don't worry like there's We'll, yeah. we'll, you know, we'll subscribe private. and save, be we'll... available for my <laughs> prescriptions. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I will say that, I mean, truly, if, if I, I mean, I cannot tell you how many patients come to me and say, you know, that met, I went, I drove in, took me two hours to get my ad there and it was way too expensive. Prescribe me something else. There's, it, there's so many unforced errors in the pharmacy space mm-hmm. and you know, it, there's there's lots of opportunity to improve. I think Amazon Pharmacy will be part of the solution. Not one one entity can't solve it all, but I do believe that if there's one thing that Amazon's going to do extremely well in, yeah. I'm very bullish on our ability to be at the doorstep, provide price transparency, provide virtual access to pharmacists, and that to me is is a helpful set of solves for what's ailing the pharmacy ecosystem. How long has how long has Amazon Pharmacy been up and running? Like how long has this been? It's uh, so since 2020. And so our, our origin okay. was in PillPack um, and the acquisition of PillPack. Um, and then we built Amazon Pharmacy, which is a 50 state virtual pharmacy, uh, directed doorstep delivery, uh, mail order volume medications. Uh, we have seven brick and mortar fulfillment centers across the country um, and are trying to get faster so that if you say had an acute antibiotic in Manhattan, we could deliver that to you same day. And then a whole fleet of drones, right? Got, uh, well, like specifically <laughs> for the drones Station, going? We got some co- <laughs> drones going in College Station, Texas, as uh, at least a proof of concept that... Uh, Why College Station? Yeah, of I'm all here. places. I know, well, I, we say that as uh, we, we both went we to went Texas, to Texas Tech, Tech, so we're <laughs> Red Raiders and, and bitter, bitter rivals of, of everybody else in Texas, in particular I think we the actually, Aggies. We actually uh, searched to see where you guys went to school, and then we decided to... Uh, yeah, that's why that, that was the deciding <laughs> um, factor. Yep. But I, um, <laughs> I was going to say that. Uh, so that's where Prime Air actually launched its initial set of uh, oh, services, right, yeah. and so we built on top of that. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Who knew? There you go. Yeah. You can get your uh, your <laughs> insulin delivered by via drone. Yeah. Too windy in Lubbock, so we couldn't. It have is. Done that's it. the thing. Yeah. yeah that's pro- that must be why they tried. <laughs> I'm sure they tried to do it instead of College Station, tried to do it in Lubbock, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like, oh, no, it's it's way too windy. Uh, let's, 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 you know, we'll save it for maybe our more powerful drones. There's like four people listening <laughs> who understand this joke. <laughs> Lubbock um, is not a, exactly a, a destination for people, but. I think two of those people are your parents. Yes, exactly. So. <laughs> so you guys is that the future, there. though? Is that, is that, I mean, is it, uh, how serious are you guys about this whole, the drone delivery thing? You know, I think the future is certainly uh, serious to learn and 
Sure. Uh, one, one of the, uh, when Prime Air asked their customers in conversation what they were most excited about as an additional feature set, one of the most common replies was prescription medication delivery, which is why we decided to roll it out in partnership with them. I think the question, what we've noticed and what I think is absolutely the future is hyper-fast delivery. And people come to expect that of Amazon, but you know, it's not just an expectation of Amazon. It's a, it's a broader expectation in this world of test to treat and the pandemic that, and the two of you know this as well as I, that we're, and this is just not something health systems writ large are fantastic at, but if you can diagnose somebody earlier in the course of their illness, chronic or acute, in almost every single case, getting them something started as quickly as possible, a treatment, antibiotic or a chronic med, it's probably going to be helpful, especially the acute antibiotic or antiviral. And we just saw three years of that experience, that holistic journey be incredibly difficult to unlock for patients across the yeah. board, you know, delays in testing, many days of delay in treatment. And, and I do think when we think about clinical impact and value at a low cost, Amazon doing hyper-fast delivery and narrowing the gap between testing, triage, and treatment. That's what I'm excited about because you know, we don't have enough providers to care for patients by the end of the decade. We're going to have to protect hospitals for the next and, and ERs. So how do you actually do that? We talk so much about it, but how do you actually do it? And I think it's early intervention, early diagnosis paired with early treatment. And that's, again, where I think we can be part of the solution, where we can deliver hyper-fast, keep people away from urgent care and the ER, the more we build awareness that we can do that. So am I hearing you say that Amazon, or maybe they already have, are moving into the telemedicine space? Uh, yeah, so very much, um, uh, I, I would say since, gosh, uh, you know, certainly the beginning of this decade, 2020, I joined Amazon Care, which is now... Um, well, we got a lot of great learnings from Amazon Care, but it's our telehealth platform uh, with some in-person component that has now um, given way to a few different opportunities that, uh, that we're really excited about. One is Amazon Clinic, which is a marketplace for external telehealth providers to provide their services and, and at, at a low cost, across a range of different uh, conditions or needs. And so I think of almost 40 different conditions are met. Uh, through Amazon Clinic, you can go to virtualcare.amazon.com. Um, if, if anybody that's listening is interested in learning more. Uh, and we just recently acquired, and this closed about a year ago, One Medical, the acquisition of One Medical, which is um, in-person and virtual care uh, in about 30 markets across the country. There's that in-person component coupled with 50 state access to virtual care. And I, I you know, obviously I'm biased because uh, I, I see what gets made and I see the quality behind it. And of course, I'm affiliated with these efforts, but I've transitioned my entire primary care to One Medical. It is, it solves the issue of access and timely access. You don't have to call anybody, sub same day you can get an appointment. Amazon Clinic, uh, the, the, the payment is often less than your copay for immediate access to triage services. And so you can really go from test to treat if you wake up on feeling unwell using our services and get what you need within a half day at a very low cost. I think in a world where the Commonwealth Fund says one in two people don't have access to same day or next day care if they're acutely ill, and this is right before the pandemic, they published that finding. That's where I do think what we're building, what some of our peers are building, it's going to help be part of a broader solve. Is this a, a pretty competitive space or do you, because I hear a lot of kind of collaborative efforts being, being done. You talk about cost plus drugs. 
um, how, what's the landscape right now of, of this space? And are there a lot of people doing this? Is there a lot of competition here? I would say very collaborative on the pharmacy side in the sense that us plus and us are, are just worked out, um, uh, just announced with Blue Shield of California an effort to source drugs differently. So cost plus is going to source medications directly from manufacturers across a range of different therapeutic categories for um, enrollees within the Blue Shield program in California. And the world is true. I would kind of assume that you'd be at odds with with the big insurers. Well, you know, there's there a, a credit to Blue Shield. They're they're looking for value, and I think so many people. Yeah, how many times do we talk about value based care? It's I mean, it's just become it's almost become meaningless to some degree because we talk about value based care. It's still in a paradigm, at least in hospitals, that's very much fee for service right. and quantity versus quality. So I, I tip my hat to Blue Shield to Cost Plus for being willing to partner with us. Uh, I would say very collaborative in the sense that. Uh, you know, let's take everything that we, we see every day. There's a new headline, amazing therapeutic that does this for weight loss or heart disease. Uh, there's a new COVID flu over-the-counter test from Pfizer. And most people don't know about it because it's 40 bucks a pop. And the pro- I always get and during the October, sort of November season, I got a lot of people ask me about the RSV vaccine. And oh, at yeah. the time, the, it, insurance wasn't covering it. And now they've changed. But to me, if we're talking about value-based care, keeping people out of the hospital at the lowest cost possible, keeping them healthy, if insurers are going to have to figure out a way to wrap their head around all this innovation that's happening, because right now, many insurers say we're not going to cover the weight loss drugs, even for those that need them. And that doesn't make sense. I, I love the idea that it's it's kind of forcing them to change and kind of get with the times. And Yeah, but the cynic in me is like, oh, so they're going to take the thing that's trying to make things better and they're just going to buy it up. Or, you know, they're going to, I don't know. I'm very cynical about insurance. Good luck buying up Amazon. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Well, like if you can't beat them, join them, you know, like I just, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I think you're right to to be skeptical of of how much the insurance companies can evolve to, to continue to go into like a cost saving for the patient. Right. Side of things. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we'll Well, see. I, I hope, I mean, my belief is if they truly invest in this pilot with Cost Plus, Blue Shield, and us, is, is a proof of concept. And that if we can show that we're right. saving patients money and we're keeping them out of the hospital, I, th- I start to think that that catches fire as a model for, other, uh, for others to mimic and, and to emulate, hopefully. But it's, it's very much to be determined, you're right. Well, if you can, if you can crack uh, tele-ophthalmology uh, for <laughs> kind of the average, th- like I just... Ooh, what I'm, about like, you I'm know, the glasses? <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Right. You got the, what you talk about the Ray-Bans? That have well, the... nothing that exists, but there's all sorts of like smart glasses, right? Maybe yeah, someday yeah. there's tele-ophthalmology yeah. glasses that like can take the pictures. Well, there's some tele-ophthalmology that's done like worldwide, but there's limits to it. And yeah. I got I a... remember during the pandemic, oh, it's like oh, people just gosh. trying to put their it eyeball was... by the webcam, you Man, know, it, it just was, wasn't it, very It effective. was rough. It was rough. I'm trying to do on the fly, figuring out tele-ophthalmology in a world in the U.S. at least where it's just not done at all. Uh, Eye care just not done, and it was it was tough. I you know since you mentioned it, none of them have seemed to really risen to the the sort of FDA approval. But I I feel like I've used to. I remember getting approached with 
different apps that promised an eye scan that, that can tell you whether or not you were COVID positive. And I'm wondering, do, do you feel like the eye is underutilized as a, as a, as a way to diagnose systemic disease? I, and Excellent well, question. Well, I will tell you, there's been work done for quite a while about uh, using things like AI uh, for mainly on the di- diabetes side. So diabetic retinopathy and and using that data to figure out kind of how well controlled someone's diabetes is. So diabetic retinopathy is a thing that's been in the AI space for a while because you can, it's one of the great things about, about having, being in ophthalmology is you can take pictures of people's retina. Right. And there's, there's really interesting things going on with like Alzheimer's and, and certain other diseases. Again, that's not like there yet to really make a big impact, but the work's being done. So yeah, I'm, I'm really hopeful that uh and selfishly i just I, I would love every hospital every emergency department to have a fundus camera to be able to take a picture of the retina and to send to people and i would love that so i don't know wow. it's keep keep working smart people who do computers yeah. <laughs> exactly like you <laughs> go tell amazon yeah get it yeah get it going get your amazon op- amazon eye yeah, yeah exactly i don't know exactly. call it I don't know, whatever. But um, I, I do have, before we finish, uh, yeah. uh, I've got just a couple quick questions for you. When was the last time you saw an ophthalmologist in the ICU? Oh. Oh, my gosh. Do you ever need an ophthalmologist <laughs> in the ICU? Is that even a thing? I'm trying to think if like an uh, orbital eye fr- or so, some sort of, uh, I, I can't, I, I don't remember. Such a I'll tough question, honest. right? Yeah, I don't think I've ever Some seen... med student will be listening and think of the one very obscure time. At, at when... the peak of the pandemic, did you <laughs> yeah. ever get any redeployed ophthalmologists up no. there? Do you no, remember I that? Didn't. No, no, I don't. Okay. I, no, was that your experience though? Or I, I'm curious. No, if... no, I, fortunately, I thought might, it might happen, but it never did for me. Um, but my other question for you is, uh, last question, is do you check all the patients in the ICU for contact lenses? No, I don't. Should I be? Especially, especially the young people. You got a young person comes in, yeah. you got to check and make sure to see if they wear contacts, like ask, you know, their family. And I always, I always tell like residents and, you know, trainees that because, uh, uh, too many times, mostly during, I don't, I don't head to the ICU very much these days in private practice, but when in training, it's like every week you'd go up there and you, you know, yeah. someone's admitted so a young person was admitted for several days and, and I take a look at their eyes and sure enough, they got contact lenses in oh, there. God. That's not something you want to leave in there. So he talked about that so much <laughs> that then he was a patient in the ICU and I, and was mm. not able to speak for himself. And so I knew I was like, oh man, I'm going to have to ask this intensivist if, if they've checked to see, you know, if his yeah. eyes are like lubricated, what are they doing with his eyeballs? Like he doesn't wear contacts. I don't have to worry about that. But I had to, I had to make yeah. sure they were taking good care. Tears yes. Yeah. For me. Yes. You know, that's such a, oh my gosh, that's such a, it's a, one, it's a great prompt and thank you for doing that. But two, it's, you know, what's, what's interesting too is we focus so much on delirium. I can I mean, the morning rounds is, hey, how do we do a spontaneous awakening trial, a spontaneous breathing trial? Yeah. Think about delirium get them off the vent, but, and, and talk about the, their mental status all the time. But gosh, if you can't see properly, because maybe yeah. you don't have contacts in, but you should have contacts in. Right. Right. I never, I've never once in my 15 years thought about, unless prompted by the family, is this, can this person see 2020? Um, or can they see clearly at all because of a 
contact yeah. lens issue and how that might impact their delirium. So this is, that's, I mean, that is, there a, you go. That's huge. That's huge. That's there, there's awesome. an application that's for ophthalmology in the ICU. Awesome. There you go. <laughs> we had to, it's a really roundabout way to get there. We got, we got there. I, the <laughs> whole time, this, this whole, this is just a ruse to end up talking about, right. you know, ophthalmology in the, in the ICU. There you go. You could do that, that and you could talk about ophthalmology on a plane. Right with with Ben here. That, that, exactly. That's, actually, you know, there is there's Orbis. Orbis is like it's a, called the Flying Eye Hospital. I don't know if you ever heard of this thing. No. It's, it's a nonprofit organization. They have an OR where they can do cataract surgery and other surgeries like flying mm. through the air. And so, why would you need to do that? It, you know, because it's cool. Well, I mean, they don't. They also will like just park the plane and bring patients in and do again. Why? It, because it's a humanitarian effort and it's super oh, okay, cool. Okay, okay. I say gotcha. it's awesome as well. All right. Well, then we're not we won't keep you any longer. <laughs> no, uh, we really got off track there. At the we end. did. Sorry. Um, so, uh, anything you want to plug? Tell us about uh, that you haven't talked about already. That we haven't discussed. No, you know, I mean, I, I guess the last thing I would say, and, and just a kudos to the two of you is. Uh, I, I spent a lot of my time outside of clinical and, and, and health and health technology just on, on effective health communication, almost like, uh, I mean, it, it became overwhelming, but do it for mainstream media. And I, I've come to really rely on the two of you, one, both to inject great information out there at scale because you have a large platform, um, also keep it uh, light uh, when it's appropriate and uh, just to be a source of uh, just, you know, inspiration and, uh, and levity when we needed it the most, but just on the, on the public facing communication piece and being somebody that we could look to for best practices, uh, but also just to get the right information out there, just given that I spent a lot of my time on that as well. Um, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, I don't know if I'll, I haven't had the chance to say that to the two of you yet. And so I didn't want this time to go by without uh, just one saying, thank you, the fellowship there. But then I think it's, I think it might be the most important thing any of us do beyond the bedside, which is, you know, how do we reach people with better information? Well, thank you. And the, the feeling is mutual for sure. And I know you're a, you, you do spend some time still doing the NBC, MSNBC analyst role. Yeah. You know, right? I, 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 you don't move to Seattle, Washington to thinking that that's going to be in your heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think you stay in the Northeast, but I, so I, I've always done it for organic reasons. Um, yeah. It happened organically. I feel like there's impact, just like I think you too have such impact. And so if people trust what you say and you can reach people with good information, yeah. it's um, it's invaluable. And so no, I, I try to do it for the right reasons. But I, I, well, I if they ever the need tribute. an internet comedian ophthalmologist to weigh in on some public <laughs> health issue, you just let us yeah, know. Let NBC I know. I, <laughs> I'll I, do that. I, I'll, I'm there. I will um, do that. <laughs> thanks again. And, and people can find you on social media uh, at Vingupta MD. Uh, and on NBC from time to time as well. Um, and then what, what was the, how can people find more information about Amazon um, pharmacy. pharmacy? Yeah, um, well, pharmacy.amazon.com um, or please reach out. I'm at VinGroupDemD, uh, you know, messages open. Would love to, lo- frankly, love to just get feedback because I think often the yeah. best feedback we get is from providers saying something didn't, maybe something could be optimized or they love our call in line because it takes a minute to reach a human versus 30 minutes in some cases. So I just hearing from providers about what's working, what's not working is fantastic. But, you know, try something new, pharmacy.amazon.com. I, I, I do think you're going to be delighted and pleasantly surprised 
what it means for your patients more than anything. Great. Well, thanks again for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, Kristen. Yeah. Our anniversary is coming up. Yes, that's right. You know what I got you? What? A bouquet. Oh, you shouldn't have. They're Diba Dex mites. That's why you and shouldn't have. Look how have. cute those faces are and uh, the little legs. That is kind of cute, I have You know to what admit. these things do? What? They cause you to have like itchy, red, irritated eyelids. That's not cute. Well, it's a disease. It's actually a pretty common disease called Demodex blepharitis. Yeah. How do you know if you have it? What does it look like? Well, you, you end up with this crusty, flaky buildup on your eyelashes. And it's pretty easy to see if you just look at That's them under a microscope. Pretty gross, though. Yeah, yeah. So... Well, you don't get grossed out. Okay. You got to get checked out. Okay. That's ah, a fair yeah. point. Yeah. You got to right. go in. You gotta, right. and, and, and we'll look at your eyelids. You just go to eyelidcheck.com to get more information. All okay. right. That's E-Y-E-L-I-D-check.com to get more information about Demodex blepharitis. These cute little guys. Yeah. It's the most romantic go. anniversary gift that's, you've ever given me. You're welcome. Well, that was fascinating. It really was. Amazon, I, I feel like I have a better understanding of kind of what Amazon Yeah, it didn't make sense Amazon's to me <laughs> when I first heard about it. I was like, what do you mean, Amazon Pharmacy? Well, I, you know, I, I am naturally very skeptical of these of this mail yeah, order same. just because of what like Optum has put people through. And but I, I, I feel like they're they're coming at it at least, you know, just from the right perspective, right? And and really trying to like save people money and and it sounds like it's a great way to to try to do that at least yeah at least make the make the health insurance companies a little nervous you know like oh we got to change with the right. times we like, gotta like people are gonna have options yeah so. I, I do like that aspect competition of it. yeah in a, in a space like healthcare where there's like less and less competition as things right. get consolidated but I, see then I that's what i'm worried like then if they're being very collaborative with them then is it going to be just one consolidated conglomerate of you know, yeah. yeah, I I feel like we need to. Things can always go sideways, right? So I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is, but I do also like uh, the cost plus drugs. You mentioned yeah, that, and right. and, and the very seems like a very similar model, and and so you know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll yeah. see how it goes. Um, but it was just uh, fascinating to talk with uh, Dr. Gupta about yeah, that. Yeah, he's and had just such an interesting. I like his perspective path. on things. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, all right, let's get to our. We have a fan story. All right. Yeah, you want to hear it? Yeah. Okay, here we go. This is from Stuart. Stuart says, hello, Dr. G and Lady G. I'm dying to know. Dr. G, do you have a Jonathan? If you do, you should consider interviewing them for your Knock Knock High <laughs> series. If you don't have one, you could interview one anyway. I'm sure there are uh, many of your subscribers would love to hear the perspective of a real Jonathan. That's a, that's a great idea. Should I get my original Well, that's Jonathan why I was laughing because I was trying to imagine him coming on a podcast do you think yes do you think he would he's so quiet so luis is was my it was, was the my the my first uh, a scribe that i worked with when i started my job um out, out of training and he, he's I, I kind of built the character around him and the amazing things that he did as a scribe now he works as a technician yeah uh, which is great because he has he's got more experience in doing different jobs in in, in the right. eye clinic so i i'm gonna I'm ask him I'm gonna see. Yeah, I'm gonna, let's I'm gonna do see it. what we can do. See what we can do about that. Um, uh, and then Stuart also said, until very recently, I thought Jonathan's were a fictional invention by you. <laughs> but I posted a question on one of your videos, and another subscriber told me that they were actually real. Yes, 
Medical scribes are real people, and they do real <laughs> amazing work. I love them. Uh, so thank you, Stuart, for that. And thank you all for listening. Thank you for your stories. You can send us your stories, knock, knock, high at human-content.com. Let us know what you thought of the episode. What do you think about Amazon Pharmacy? What do you think about Amazon kind of, you know, sending you medications via drone? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds cool to me. I don't know. They drop it. uh, uh, We didn't ask, like, what, what happens if you're not home? And they, like... Oh, you, know, you have that issue now. I guess that that's, that's never going to go away, but unless you're always home. But yeah, anyway. Um, all right. And let us know if you have any other suggestions for guests. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Lots of ways to hit us up. Email us, knockknockhigh at human-content.com. Visit us on all the social media platforms. You can hang out with us and the Human Content Podcast family on Instagram and TikTok at Human Content Pods. We just got through the holidays not too long ago. Mm-hmm. We spent some time with our family. We did. Yes, we got together for the holidays. Our real family and our human content family. (laughs) Shout out to all the wonderful listeners leaving feedback. We love you guys. We love the feedback. Just the ones that are giving us good feedback. No, we love the ones that are giving us like not so good feedback either. Uh, We love all of you. Are we getting some of those? I I haven't seen any lately. Okay. um, which Which is great. But, you know, we welcome all feedback. But if you leave a great review, if you subscribe and comment on your favorite podcasting app and on YouTube, we can give you a shout out. Like Jenny Grace on Apple said, best doctor. I love this podcast. Wow. On making eyeballs interesting. <laughs> Thanks for starting this and hope you never run out of topics. She's referring to the Knock Knock Eye episodes. Yes, she is. That I do once a week um, where I just... I nerd out on eyeballs with you guys. I think she is as surprised as I am that that you have made eyeballs interesting. Guess what? I have people say that they love listening to that. I know. People like it. On their commute to work. Yeah. Just getting ready for work by listening to an ophthalmologist talk about ophthalmology things. Got a lot of eyeball questions, I guess. Full video episodes are up every week on my YouTube channel, at Flecken. We also have a Patreon. Lots of cool perks. Bonus episodes where we react to medical shows and movies. Hang out with other members of this wonderful, brilliant, hardworking community that we have. Um, uh, We're active in it. We're doing all the things. Our early ad-free episode access, interactive Q&A live stream events, and much more. Patreon.com slash Glockenflecken or go to Glockenflecken.com. Speaking of Patreon community perks, new member shout out. We got Jocelyn, Michelle H., and Roy R. Thank you all for being patrons. Uh, And also shout out as always to the Jonathans. A virtual head nod to you all. Patrick, Lucia C, Sharon S, Omar, Edward K, Stephen G, Jonathan F, Marion W, Mr. Granddaddy, Caitlin C, Brianna L, Leah D, K L, Rachel L, Keith G, JJ H, Derek N, Mary H, Susanna F, Mohammed K, Aviga, Parker, Ryan, Medical Mag, Bubbly Salt, and Pink Macho. Thank you all. There's too many for you to do it all in one breath now. I know. It's amazing. Uh, and uh, uh, Patreon Roulette. Random shout out to someone on the emergency medicine tier. Shout out to Justin for being a patron. Thank you, Justin. Thank you all for listening. We are your hosts, Will and Krista Plain. We also know as the Glockham Fluckins. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Vin Gupta. Our executive producers are Dr. Will Flannery, Kristen Flannery, Aaron Corney, Rob Goldman, and Shanti Brook. Editor and engineer is Jason Portizo. Our music is by Omer Binsvi. To learn about our Knock Knock Highs program disclaimer and ethics policy submission verification and licensing terms and HIPAA release terms, Go to glockablanket.com or reach out to us at knockknockhigh at human-content.com with any questions, concerns, or what? One medical pounds. Yeah, those two, if you want. 
Knock Knock High is a human content production. Hey, Kristen. Yeah. You know, sometimes I come home from work and I just like feel really run down. Yeah, because, you know, despite popular opinion, you actually do see a fair number of patients every day. <laughs> I do. I, my clinics are pretty busy, but I'm not the only physician that feels that way. Mm-hmm. So many people feel overwhelmed and burdened so much that work-life balance feels impossible. Yeah, nobody gets into this job for the paperwork. Most people. Not, definitely not me. Mm. And uh, But let me tell you about the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. Tell me. This is AI-powered ambient technology. It sits down in the room with you. It's transforming healthcare with clinical documentation that writes itself. Ooh, that sounds nice. It's like having a Jonathan there. Yeah, it's perfect. I got, and I got some stats for you. Oh, I love stats. You're going to love this. Seven minutes is saved per encounter by reducing clinical documentation time by 50%. Seven minutes. That's an entire surgery for yeah, you. Yeah, that's what DAX can do for you. And uh, across all specialties, 70% of physicians report a reduction in feelings of burnout and fatigue. That's pretty incredible. It really is cool technology. Uh, to learn more about the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience or DAX, Visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X. You've been talking.